Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic intervention. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. Hey everyone, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you're listening to the Labors of Love podcast. I'm very excited. I'm actually um, have a return guest. He was my very first guest on the Labors of Love podcast. He is the producer for the Labors of Love podcast, one half of the Instant Classic podcast, owner of Instant Classic Media, and coincidentally, my husband, Mr. Jay Sugg. Welcome, Jay. Thank you. You you forgot baby daddy. Oh, uh, yeah. He, he is my baby daddy. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm excited to have this conversation with you. You're always behind the scenes. So looking forward to kind of having you a little front and center. So we're just going to kind of talk, you know, the thing I know about instant classic media, it's the intersection of pop culture and sports. And there is, uh, there are very few iconic events in the sporting world, like the Super Bowl. So the Super Bowl has just taken place. And I thought, if I'm going to talk a little bit about the Super Bowl, then what better than to have my sports guy with me? So, um, yeah. What did you think of the Super Bowl? I enjoyed it. It, it wasn't a, a great game, but it was an entertaining game. And it also had the best halftime show we've had since 2007. And who was the 2007 halftime performer? Prince. Prince, right. That's the bar. Uh, and, and it's set high, right? So a few things I want to talk about. I want us to talk a little bit about, and, and here, the thing about it is if you are just listening and you're like, eh, I'm not really into sports, don't turn because it's not just about sports. Again, it's about what can we glean from sports um, that can tell us about mental health trauma, relationships, resilience, right? Because that's all I talk about on the, on the, I was going to say on the Instant Classic podcast. I actually haven't been invited to be a guest on the Instant Classic podcast yet. That's a little nod. It's fine. It's fine. Y'all do your thing. <laughs> it's fine. No, but um, so we are living uh, in Cincinnati, the Cincinnati, Ohio area. And in case you don't follow sports, the Cincinnati Bengals uh, went to the Super Bowl. So let's just talk a little bit about what we recognized living in the city of um, a team who was going to the Super Bowl. So what were some of your observations? Uh, unity, like immediately, everyone had something that we all had in common. Um, for this stretch of a playoff run, everyone in the city were Bengals. Even if you hadn't played a down, even if you didn't follow football, all of a sudden, everyone in the city had orange and black gear. 
right? Whole school districts are like, we're doing orange and black all week or, and that's what I noticed too. It was, it was an equalizer. It didn't matter if you liked football or if you didn't like football, it it didn't matter if you were, um, how your feelings about the NFL per se, um, there just came this thing. So I think for context, we should also say that it had been like 30 or 31 years, 32 years, 32 years since since the last playoff win since the last playoff win. So in case you don't know what that means, it means that the Bengals haven't been that good for a while. (laughs) And the thing about the Bengals, um, well, let me preface by saying I do not have a NFL team that I would consider my favorite, but I am a big fan of the game of football. So what that means for me is I can watch a lot of football. I can consume a lot of football without having really an invested interest in who wins or who doesn't. And it's less stressful for me because I'm just watching the game. And so it's not that I am a Bengals fan. I'm not a Bengals hater, you know, but what I began to notice is racial lines, political affiliations, and all of these different things seem to take a big step backwards during the last couple of weeks in Cincinnati. When the Bengals won there, was it the third playoff game that said they're going to the playoffs? There was a sense of hope and excitement and camaraderie. And the only places I didn't see it were for people who were dead um, set on their, on their other team. So if the Steeler fans were hating, (laughs) Browns fans were hating, right? Ravens fans were hating. And so these were kind of like, um, rivals, um, in division rivals. Is that right? Conference. Okay. And so in division rivals, but outside of that, even those people, it's not like they would, you know, betray their team and say, I want the Bengals to win, but there was just, um, from what we saw, uh, just a lot of people who were like, man, this is cool. I personally liked to see people have so much joy in something that felt so close to home. There was like a renewed sense of joy in the city that people dwell. So there was just like a Cincinnati pride that was taking place. And so I will be interested to see how long the city is able to hold on to that um, after the mm-hmm. loss, there were a lot of people who could recognize that for the Bengals being as not good as they have been over the last few years, this was a win, like making it that far, having the team that they have. And there's been a lot of talk about how they can build around the pieces that they already have. What are, what are your predictions about how the Bengals uh, Super Bowl appearance will kind of impact the city going forward i think it gave it gives a new sense of hope um and this has been a good year for sports for cincinnati as a whole um the uc bearcats made it to the college football playoff so it's just been like a renewed sense of of pride um i'm not saying that cincinnati is like cleveland per se where that that team that's been like that lovable loser always kind of getting beat down um, but this, it, it gives a series, especially with Joe Burrow, um, a young quarterback. He's not somebody who's old and his time is getting ready to expire. Um, he's only 25. So the expectation is that they're going to be back and doing this, at least, you know, making it to the playoffs on a regular basis. So 
I I believe it, it'll be it'll be similar next year because what we did discover is that Cincinnati's a football town. The Bengals is the team of Cincinnati, even though the Reds have had more historical success. This is a Bengals town. Even when the Reds were in the playoffs, the city didn't galvanize like it did when the Bengals made it. It showed us who the who the city really belongs to. Look at you using big words. Yeah, man. <laughs> I do have a master's degree. <laughs> you do? You ain't dumb. I'm just saying. I, you know, I, I kind of like it when you use those big words. <laughs> so, um, okay. I like that. I had a question. What was my question? Um, oh, yeah. So when the Bengals won their first uh, playoff game mm-hmm. this season, there was a, something I noticed. And, and when I say notice, because, you know, I still be in my house most of the time. So this is largely through social media. But there were like a contingency of people like, oh, no, nah, don't come trying to be Bengals fans now. No new fans, no new fans. And I saw a few people who stepped up, some just from a, like a, a rah-rah, like fan perspective and saying, hey, we take new fans. And other people saying like, hey, shut your mouth. This is revenue right for our city we yeah. want new fans we we want people who never thought about the Bengals and wasn't caring about the Bengals to care about the Bengals so from your expertise in sports talk to us about because I, this I, I'm asking this question mainly for the contingency of people who are like it's just sports you know People need to put that energy behind blah, blah, blah. You know, if people took this same energy towards this or that as they do sports. So for the people who can't see the benefit in, um, in sports, what, what would you say to that? One of the benefits to me um, is that it kind of shows that we're all not that different no matter like what your walk of life are, is you can have just different people. Can You can just run up on somebody. Earlier today, I had a conversation with a guy who asked, hey, where are you from? And I said, Cincinnati. And immediately we had a three to five minute conversation about the Bengals. Um, I don't know that man. I don't know that man's name. I don't know where he's from. All I know is that he was excited about the Bengals. Um, so that's the kind of thing that sports brings. It brings people together. Um, it brings, for context, like you, you weren't in Cincinnati during this conversation. Is that true? That is true. I was close to the Columbus area. Mm-hmm. So from the revenue perspective, from what mm-hmm. sports brings to a city as far as whatever, you know, whether that's revenue that it brings in, um, what does that look like? What are, what are some of the financial benefits, let's say, to a city um, based on sports? Oh, well, one, you get more fans into that downtown or wherever your stadium area is. And then whoever you're playing, their fans are going to come too. So you're getting more tourism. You're getting people coming to the city, especially like for like a playoff game. That's when the numbers go up. Um, And then if your city shows that it can host these kind of events, then you can get the bigger events. So like if you can get like an NCAA tournament game or something of that nature or like a super bowl you won't get that here because it's cold but the super bowl probably just made tons of money for los angeles just the things on the side of the sporting event all the parties that show up on the side 
just the amount of people that flood who aren't even going to the game. They just want to be in the vicinity. I know I used to do all-star weekend for the NBA on a regular basis. And I can tell you that there are so many things on the peripheral outside of the actual event that people go to that kind of drives the economy. Gotcha. Now I would be remiss if I didn't mention that where you have these large sporting alpha, uh... Um, event. You also have extremely high numbers of human trafficking. Um, mm-hmm. That's a real thing. Um, and while we're not specifically talking about that on this episode, I'm, I'm not, and I'm not trying to make a, uh, you know, I'm not selling anything. <laughs> we're just talking. Um, it can be huge revenue generators for the city, for small businesses um, and things like that. The number of people I saw hawking their wares, is that the right time? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Like if every you got corner a screen pressed. If you if you if you got the ends to make a shirt, a flag, a whatsoever, every corner, somebody was selling something. So everybody was like, hey, we gonna we gonna capitalize on this. But I, I have to say that, you know, sporting events, particularly the Super Bowl, um, bring some of the highest incidents of, of human trafficking um, and, and with a strong emphasis on children which breaks my heart. So we, we got to be aware of that. Um, and, you know, I just need people, if you are unfamiliar with human trafficking, um, there is an episode that I did with the anonymous survivor, which is amazing, uh, where we talk about human trafficking as she is a human trafficking thriver and survivor. So go back and listen to that episode if you want more information in general about that. But yeah, so sports, it, it does a thing, right? I looked at, and, and, and I, okay, I also want to say, like, I get it. it. It's disgusting how much the Super Bowl made. Um, billions, billions, oh, yeah. billions of dollars. You know, when we see LeBron James dancing in that, um, in the skybox, that skybox was $2 million just to get in there. For the record, I don't think it was his. I think it was Kevin Hart's, um, yeah. but it didn't matter. <laughs> Somebody paid $2 million for that. And I will acknowledge that the people who are selling the stuff in there were probably still making minimum wage. Like these are real things. So I don't, again, I want us to have a, a balanced conversation and perspective of it, but I do want to say that there, there was a level of unity that I witnessed um, that was beautiful. And as a non, as a fan of the game, but a non-fan a non-particular fan of the team, I was able to kind of have this more objective glance at what I was saying because I wasn't diehard that, oh my God, the Bengals got to win. You know, I wanted, uh, I wanted the people I cared about who really cared about the Bengals to, to see a good game and to pull out a victory. But I also was able to kind of just look at some things from a different perspective. So, um, we were talking about how this game for us was more like an HBCU football game, which that's a historically black college and university. So essentially the football game is just there, but you're just trying to get to the halftime show. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so um, the halftime show this year was uh, a Dr. Dre performance and included with him was Snoop Dogg, uh, Kendrick Lamar, 50 Cent, Mary J. Blige, Eminem. Did I miss anybody? No. Anderson Park was there. On the drums. On the drums, right? And there, there was a lot. And, and I want to spend some time here. Um, but before I go <laughs> into the things I want to spend some time on, uh, tell me, tell us what you thought of the performance. I loved it. Um, 
this was the first time that hip hop has ever really been on the main stage. Um, we've seen like, you know, hip hop on like the, you know, the Grammys, all like, you know, American Music Awards, but no program in this country has more eyes on it than the Super Bowl. And this was, in essence, kind of like a hip hop coming out party. What does that mean for hip hop? I mean, hip hop is already one of the number one music, you know, music generating art forms. But just to be people our age, just to be able to see where hip hop has come from to where it is now is just just amazing. I mean, we were young, but I kind of remember when the parental advisory sticker was getting put on on albums. You know what I mean? Like this was in our lifetime them fighting, you know, just to get played, that hip hop, rap isn't music. That was in our lifetime. Yeah, that was the late 80s, wasn't it? Mid yeah. to late 80s. And so what's interesting to me is, um, and, and I gotta admit, like, um, what frustrates me about humanity <laughs> often <laughs> is, sometimes the the sheer inability for people to hold more than one thing as true at a time so what I mean by that is um nuance that I cannot like something and it not be bad it's a thing I I don't like liver but that doesn't have to make it bad I like certain things that are good to me, but it doesn't mean that other people will think they are good. And so um, <laughs> half time, the halftime, the Super Bowl halftime show, I feel is always a place for me to see beyond the veil for many people. And it is always interesting. So first I got to go back to, was it two years ago when it was Shakira and yeah. Jennifer Lopez? Yep. And I remember watching that performance and it was, it had this strong Latin flair and the dances. And then I, I went on to social media and you could just hear people, you know, clinging to whatever they could, whether it was what someone was wearing or this and going into you know, this is supposed to be a wholesome family event. Says who, first of all, mm -hmm. Pepsi ain't market this halftime show as no, as no family friendly, wholesome event. And, 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 and this mix of not being able to separate what is just cultural and all this stuff. And it really, it was just a lot of racism guised yeah. under morality and all this other stuff. This time I saw these pockets and I saw a meme that I feel like classifies it pretty good it said people under 30 were like who are those people people in our age range what 31 to 45 are like best halftime show ever and then 50 and over they like worst ever <laughs> right but it began to just be so clear to me why I stay off social media for the most part it's okay not to like it 
It really is. It was okay not to like it, but how people have to conclude that it was the worst ever. So first of all, this wasn't for everybody. I had to post this. The halftime show wasn't for everybody, but those who it was for enjoyed it immensely. And if it wasn't for, it's okay. It really is okay. But when people turn into the nonsense of that's not music and that should be, but why? And, and, and who qualified everybody making a remark to determine what is music? What is quality? How about I didn't like it? How about the moment you recognize you wasn't going to like it? Take it as an opportunity to go to the bathroom and get some more dip. Like no one forced you to sit and consume something that you found so offensive, which is crazy to me when you go, if you're offended by what you saw now, now we have to start thinking about what really offends you. You're telling on yourself. Yeah. Your slip is showing. What, what are you offended by? Cause you cannot like the genre of music. I don't like country, but I also don't consume it <laughs> because I don't like it. I, I, I remove myself or I turn the channel. I go, oh, this isn't particularly for me. Um, I, I don't like hard rock. I don't really like classic rock. I don't like rock. Okay. But I haven't said it's not music. I haven't said it's bad. I haven't said it's horrible. It's just not my preference. So anyway, what are your thoughts? Kind of like how we just said, um, for the people who were saying this isn't real music, you are telling on yourself. We know exactly what what you you didn't like and i also thought what was telling was we all we all saw who got the loudest ovation oh, um, we call that yeah <laughs> like before it started i had told you when he comes out the crowd is going to lose it because who was he he is eminem mm -hmm. and um if we want to break it down we know who also consumes and purchases the majority of hip-hop music and the people that do that do not look like me and you. In case that's oh. so cryptic, white people buy a lot of hip hop. Let me tell you the experience I had with that. I worked at an agency that the campus I worked at was very, very close to um, one of the music concert, uh, um, not arenas, but... Um, what word am I thinking of? Just a, a place where they have concerts. Stadium? <laughs> well, no. Venue? Venue. There it is. River Band, right? So it's a, it's a place where you will have a lot of concerts. And I'm going to tell you, like, we would check who was coming because you had to be prepared because we were far enough away, but with very big concerts, people would come and like park on the lawn of the property. So we would have to like hire a, like an off-duty um, law enforcement officer to make sure no one's parking there, rope it off, do all these things. Um, and it was two concerts that were huge. One, Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> Jimmy, <laughs> when Jimmy Buffett came to Riverbend, we had to be prepared in advance because coconut bras and grass skirts, and they started early. I'm talking seven o'clock in the morning people would get there in RVs and trailers and cars, and it would be the equivalent of an all-day tailgate. 
Um, and so by the time the concert, so many people didn't even make it to the concert because they were plastered because they've been drinking all day. And, you know, I mean, I worked with adolescent boys in a residential facility at this place. And I remember we had to go off grounds for something. We were coming back. Them boys was getting flashed by women. It, it was just crazy. So we go, okay, so we're not going to take them off grounds on the day of the Jimmy Buffett concert. The aftermath was crazy, right? And the other concert that was super crazy to me, it was a Little Wayne concert. Now I got to tell you that this was my God, um, probably like a decade ago. Okay. So does that put him at the height of popularity for him? Yeah. Somewhere yeah. around, this is when he was super popular, right? So I am getting ready to whatever it is. I'm because we were like up on a hill. I come down the hill. I know that it's Little Wayne's concert. I get down there, and for real, y'all, I don't see a black person, not one. And I'm like, wait a minute, who whose concert is it? It's Little Wayne. So that was the first firsthand, um, like example that I saw of like, you know what, I honestly, I, I mean, I don't know what I thought. I didn't think white people listen to hip hop and rap at the rate that they do. But what I also realized are they are the people who are buying the albums in, in, in high amounts, buying the concert tickets. But what's so interesting to me, I was also intrigued by the number of people who publicly stated how excited they, white people, non-black people. Uh, no, I don't mean non-black people, I mean white people, who stated ahead of time how excited they were about the halftime show and then like how many people would talk about it with me but would never publicize it so that's another thing that I think that I think there are a lot I think it was an age demographic right not a race demographic of who was going to enjoy the halftime show I think there was this whole like our what are we considered are we we something we gen xers we gen x okay so this gen x um demographic who grew up in that time like I saw a lot of cross-cultural cross-racial like I'm excited about this but I but like they don't have to publicly say that on social media so when people are out there talking about like this was the worst ever which used was was usually what do we call the people older than us uh they are the baby boomers are they I, I thought there was something between the boomers and us I don't, Maybe not. it don't matter. I don't think so. <laughs> 50 and up, it seems 45, 50 and up. It's the worst ever. This is not music. I wonder if they know how many of their children <laughs> was getting down, was really enjoying it. Like, and that's the thing, because I think, you know, they got so caught up in what they think is the music, but it's not. And I, I just want to give one more example about like how bias works, because we are talking about bias. Yeah, I'm, this I'm, is bias. I'm, I'm good. And bias, again, we all got it. If you breathe oxygen and you poop, you have bias. If you're listening to this podcast, I can guarantee you ha- you fit both of those criteria. Therefore, you have bias. And, 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 and it is. I want to show you one of my biases and how it showed up yesterday. We're watching the football game. And um, when the football game first starts, whatever team is running out of the tunnel, they have these very quick promos. Um, where the player will say their name and what school they went to. And some people will say a high school, 
Um, some people will say the college they went to. Some people occasionally just say like their city and state. And so I'm watching the Rams little promo and I don't even know who the dude was, but he was like, so-and-so and so the, and I was like, oh, I, I made a, a, a oh, gasp, right? Because he went to the Ohio state, but Jay was like, where did he go? Oregon? Oregon state. He was like, he said Oregon State. And I was like, what? He was like, you heard the and quit listening. And I was like, oh, my bias is showing. Like, he didn't even finish the sentence, right? So I'm a Michigan grad. There's, I don't even have a real right. If I'm for real, for real, I ain't real about this rivalry out here unless it's the last Saturday in November when we played him in football. I'm just not that into it. But instantly, as soon as I, and I didn't even finish listening to his promo. I just heard the and assumed filled in the blank that he was going to say Ohio State. And next thing you know, I was making audible gasps of disgust. I don't know this man. I don't know him as a person. I don't know him as a football player. Can't even recall who he is. That's bias. That's how it works. I'm just being real with mine. So I think when a lot of people saw who was going to be at the halftime show, heard the beginning notes of the music these biases began to show up and then what happens is then we look for reasons so let's say jay hadn't corrected me right he hadn't been like he said oregon state and i remembered who dude was in his number i'm I, what what the human experience does is i would have started looking for reasons to hate on him like mm -mm, he holding look at him like i would have found reasons <laughs> to be like oh he's doing something wrong why because that that that's how that's man that's that's in large part how we've been culturalized so I just wanted to share that because it's real. And again, it's fine if you didn't like the halftime show. It is just all of the way people have to so earnestly communicate um, their hatred or disdain for it. That shows that it's more than just, I didn't enjoy the performance. Um, one thing that I want to mention is that you had kind of talked about like they were hating on the the former music the, the generation prior to us but if you remember when we were kids it was that same generation like our parents were the ones who were kind of saying this isn't music they were the same ones who came back yesterday are the same ones complaining this has been a i don't know if it's just a generational gap or or what the cause is but the same people who were causing a fuss when we were children were the same ones causing a fuss last night True story. I mean, they stuck to their guns, which yeah, you consistency. said that, if nothing else, right? <laughs> Consistent. So this is a slight segue, but when you said that, it just reminded me, I, did I tell y'all I'm on TikTok? I'm on TikTok, y'all. Um, <laughs> and I really appreciate the, um, the reach that the, the information is getting. Um, because I got to be real for you with y'all. I've said this several times over the last couple of weeks. When I first started my business, I engaged with social media in the hopes to get business. I'm going to post this. I, I, I hope then people know that I'm, you know, doing therapy and trainings and come. Well, particularly when it comes to therapy, I'm almost at capacity. So when I am posting things on social media, when I am doing um, the podcast, a large part of why I'm doing it is because, well, it's my gift and I have a lot of wisdom and information and, and I have a way 
of articulating and communicating information that makes it accessible to a wide range of people. So I am doing this because I want people to get the information. I want people to have access to understanding and healing in a way that they may not. But on TikTok, y'all, people come and follow me. <laughs> <laughs> they coming hard and they like, I want you. And, and I'm not even, I'm not even working with individuals anymore. Like I have a few individuals that I have been working with. And I will continue to work with until they get to a place, you know, um, of healing where they are ready to move on, but I'm not accepting any new individuals and people ain't trying to hear it. Like when I tell you, I have it plastered everywhere. I'm not taking individuals. You have to be in Ohio. I don't take insurance. There are people who are like, yeah, I read that, but I was just hoping, <laughs> right? And so I, I just want to say, I love, I, I love that. And I have so much gratitude that people see the value in what I'm doing. I'm also going to say, I'm not on TikTok really. Um, I do my video, my assistant posts it. I do go on to see the comments because sometimes people have follow-up questions and I do want to, to answer those. But anyway, that was a long way to say I was on TikTok um, just real quick and there is a, a woman in on TikTok and her question was so profound to me. She said, this question is for white people. Do you ever ask your parents or your grandparents if they threw milkshakes at people at um, sit-ins? Did they throw rocks at kids trying to desegregate schools? Did they ever attend a lynching? She said, and it was, and she appeared, she was like appearing. And she said, we talk about this in our families. We know what our elders have been through, but do you all talk about, like, if, if, if my, if the people who endured that are still alive in our families and the people perpetuating it are still alive in yours, do you talk about that? And I can't say like, I never thought about, but I, I don't know that I've taken the time to be like, oh, that's, that's a, that's a really good question because if we actually were doing that, then some of the debates that are around that I'm not even going to get wholeheartedly into right now, but like CRT, critical race theory, mm -hmm. um, only because I'm not getting into it, only because I'm on the periphery. I, I understand generally the concept, but if you were asking me to, what, what is the main argument that people are saying? Like, I can't talk intelligibly about that right now because I haven't researched it, but what I can tell you is they don't want their kids to feel uncomfortable. I'm sorry. Comfort? Comfort is not a luxury that my, my foremothers, fathers, ancestors, and those who are still alive had the luxury of just living. And so that question of like, do y'all, do y'all have those conversations? Do you go? And, and, and even if you do ask those questions, revisionistic history is a thing. You know how I know revisionistic history is a thing? I attend funerals. You go to a funeral and all of a sudden, people become saints it, it, it just just the obituary the eulogy every single speech it takes away the three-dimensionality of who they were as humans so I know that people are not gonna likely be very honest about those things but I, I just I just I, it was profound enough that I wanted to share it right that is deep I I've asked that question like you know you would see like the pictures of of ruby entering the school and, and you see like those you know those women other kids or yeah i guess they were kids at the time just kind of yelling as we're like man i wonder where she is now mm -hmm. like what does she do for a living yeah is, is she the manager at the bank come on or the admissions 
administrator at the college. And yeah, it's it's just, and, and they weren't all kids. These no, are full grown adults, right? So, you know, I'm throwing that out there. I And I, I say that I have come across a lot of people who have um, de- expressed and demonstrated a genuine um, interest in my history, my personal history, you know, my ancestral history. Um, they, they have outward demonstrations of pain, sorrow, and discomfort when things about the historical um, projection of racism and all that stuff, right? But it's like, have you sat down and just talked to your people? Where were you? What was your position? What does that look like? Um, so anyway, that was kind of on the side, but I just thought I'd bring that up. So what else you want to talk about? We can talk about uh, your, your girl Mary's boots that had the, the internet ablaze. <laughs> you spend far more time on the internet than I do. So tell me what Mary J. Blige's boots. I thought her outfit was, was yeah. very like people people appealing. loved it. So what are people, people saying? They loved it. They were saying like it was gonna be was I may have been was it you who said it was gonna oh, well, be? Well, I did read something that said Fashion Nova's gonna have those yeah. boots by midnight. I saw the same thing. <laughs> Like the internet was a fan of, of Mary. Yeah, I mean, and, and just overall, oh, oh, yeah. Okay, so if we're going to stick here, let's talk about this too. So 50 Cent, um, mm-hmm. he wasn't billed, meaning we didn't necessarily know he was going to be there, um, but he was. And um, in the video for the song that he did, he was upside down. So as a nod to that video, he started upside down Um in the performance and one of the first things that I noticed is he was bigger in size now I didn't say that in a I said that as neutral as pot like just as a he's bigger and to me it's like he had been like lifting a lot of weights and everything uh you even made a comment of what did you say if anybody needs an offensive lineman like like he can step in 50 got the arms right now yeah, his arms were so big in dimension, right? And so there were talk about like him sounding winded and all this stuff. But I'm also like, do we know how long he was upside down? Like you try being upside down, <laughs> right? Right now, if you listen to this, just go to the side of your bed and hang off. Like it, it is so amazing to me how quick we humanity are to to pass judgment. Because I did notice his 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 voice too. For me, I wondered if just increasing size had changed his voice. It was later that I was like, dude was upside down. But I then saw something on social media that was so true. And it said, 50 Cent will not see you making fun of him on social media, but your friend will, right? This or your children will. This understanding that we are so fat phobic as a culture, as a society. One of the first things that I noticed about the entire show and I said it multiple times I said I appreciate the body diversity in this performance so it was like a house kind of the staging was like a house and on the bottom floor towards the right were three cheerleaders and what I loved about those cheerleaders is they were plus like they looked like me they it looked like I could have been up there. And that is not something that I normally see when I see performances, right? And, and it's interesting because it's either like, uh, I don't make me say a year. 
it's a long time ago, probably over 10 years ago, but Monique, the actor Monique, before she lost weight, when she was still a very large woman, did a performance to Beyonce's song. And she had all plus size dancers up there with her. And it was like all the rave, right? So part of it was, we can do it too. We can dance, we can do all those things, but it was like a novelty. Now you have Lizzo right? Who is going to perform and is her body positive. And then she's surrounded by other people with all this body diversity. So I see it when it is the intent Mm -hmm. of the performance, but I don't necessarily see it when that's not the objective. Even the women who were dancing with Mary represented a range of body diversity that I don't normally see. And to be fair, when I say body diversity, I just mean big girls, whether you want to call them fat, thick, whatever, that, that's what I mean. I know there, I didn't see anyone who was noticeably physically handicapped um, and all of those things. So I'm not even trying to be, I'm just trying to say, it felt real nice to see somebody's body who resembled mine in a performance and they weren't specifically highlighting it. So that is something that stuck out to me, but it's also something I look for. And it's, when we start to realize that some of the things that we look for, either we celebrate the presence of, or we grieve the absence of, are oftentimes um, parts of our identity that we're looking to see reflected back at us because um, it matters. Ooh, which reminds me of something else I want to talk about. But what do you want to say to that, if anything? No, nah, nah, I think you covered it. Go ahead. For the record, this is how our conversations go yeah. all the time, y'all. All the time. Shonda gives a three-page talk and Jay responds with yep. a sentence. Now, this is progress. When we first got together, Shonda would probably give a whole book and Jay would give a nod. And I'm like, we got to meet in the middle, bro. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, have, I have learned to, uh, to be able to, to make... Um, things a little more manageable and he's 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 able to give me sentences sometimes but um yeah I just want y'all to know like this is life this this is this is for real how it goes um but something I wanted to talk about and have I talked about going to the girl's birthday party yet on no, the podcast? okay I don't think so so we t- when we talk about um seeing ourselves reflected back at us we have this thing called mirror neurons mirror neurons um help us to know how a person is feeling without having to guess mirror neurons is why you uh cry with someone in a movie who's experienced sadness or loss even though they're not real people um but mirror neurons also cause us to mirror back things so if you're walking down the street think pre-covid because or unmasked and someone smiles at you, your, your mirror neurons will cause you to start to smile back before you even consciously realize that you're doing it. But it also means that if someone is grimacing in pain, you will start to grimace in pain. It means that if someone has an angry face, you will start to make an angry face. And then your brain has to wrap a story around why your body and face is doing what it's doing. And that's how mirror neurons work. It's why when people talk about energy matching energy, it's a real thing. That's why smiles do go a long way. Because as you're smiling, someone else starts to unintentionally smile because of their mirror neurons. All of a sudden, their brain starts wrapping around, well, what would cause us to smile? They start thinking smiley thoughts. And next thing you know, you can help their day be better. It's a real thing. 
But it also goes to representation matters, why it is so important for us to see our identities reflected back. So a couple of weeks ago, um, one of my daughters, uh, if you don't know, now you know, I have twins there in kindergarten. And one of them received an invitation to a birthday party. So I'm in this stage where I got to do this thing. Anytime I get an invitation, is I got to call the number or text the person to RSVP and go, hey, she's a twin. Is her twin allowed to come? Because I don't want to presume, right? Especially if you what you're doing and how many people, you know, whatever. And so far, so good. Everyone has been like, oh, yep, that's not a problem. Her twin can come. And so it was at a trampoline park, which if you don't know what that is, it's just like a big space where pretty much the whole floor are trampolines. And then they have other things like the foam boxes that you can jump into and rock climbing walls and all kind of stuff, right? For kids to go and jump around for a couple of hours. And so um, I wanted to give Jay a break. I'm like, hey, I'll take the girls uh, by myself. Yeah, get some rest and relax, do what you do. So me and the girls, uh, we go to Target, we get the little girl a gift, and then we arrive at the trampoline park. We are a little late. So uh, the kids are already jumping. So when we come in and tell them the party that we're with, they direct us towards the room where we can put our stuff and all this stuff. There are about five birthday parties happening at the same time, three rooms, three private rooms, and then like this area that you can tell is blocked off for birthday parties. I'm just trying to give you a sense of like, it's a lot of people here. When I tell you that I was the only human being in that building with a mask on my face. <laughs> it, it is not an exaggeration, okay? Five birthday parties. I didn't expect the kids jumping to have on masks, but I definitely did not expect to be the only person in the building with a mask. So because I've been doing a lot of work at slowing down and just being present in my body, being embodied, not just as a thing I do when I'm meditating or whatever, but as a lifestyle, I began to experience what I was feeling firsthand in the moment. What did I feel? I felt cortisol, like that's the stress chemical. Like I felt anxious. I became super self-conscious. And what I mean by that is just conscious of myself and the fact that despite all of these adults not jumping, sitting around, watching their children, working, I was the only person with a mask. So I text Jay and I'm like, I am the only person with a mask on. I think he texts me back like, that's crazy. So here's the thing. It, I, I think I text this to him. I said, it makes me feel like if I, if it were raining outside and I went outside with an umbrella because it was raining, but I'm around, let's say 30, 40, 50 people and no one else has an umbrella. At some point I'm going to be like, is it really raining? <laughs> like, I mean, it's enough to make you go like, am I tripping? Yep. So there was literally a moment where I was like, damn, is this still a pandemic? Like literally, did I miss the email? And this is void of any, I'm not putting any value judgment on mask, not mask, right? I'm not talking anything about, nope, I'm not politicizing it, making it political. I am saying I was the only person in a mask. So then Jay asked me, 
are there any other black people there? And let me tell you about what made that question so stark when he asked it. I didn't even notice. I had to look around. Why is that important? Because I live in a mostly white suburb. And when I go into spaces, one of the first things I'm looking for are other black people. Okay, it's a thing. It's a thing. It's not just a thing for me either, but it's a thing enough for me to tell y'all it's a thing. I was so overcome by being the only person in a mask that what used to be important Am I the only black people? Didn't even cross my mind. I'm gonna tell y'all growing up um, before this awareness really of my blackness, which whole nother podcast where I could talk about that. You know what I used to go in? I used to go in and I used to look, am I the fattest person in the space? It's just a thing. I used to look for that. All of a sudden I started noticing how my blackness was showing up in the world. And that, I don't even think about that no more. Part of it is also, I love my body. I love me. I've grown in that area. So I no longer look for that. I was so overcome by being the only person in a mask that I didn't even do the thing that I normally do, which is just say, hey, are there other black people? Because you know what? Seeing yourself reflected back, your identities matter. So I'm sitting there. I feel like I can feel my face getting a little red. Like I can just feel these things happening in my body real time because I recognize, and, and I'm not going to lie, I, I would be lying if I, if I said that there weren't parts of me that wanted to be like, just take it off. <laughs> just take it off. Completely not, not because all of a sudden, I don't think I'm in a pandemic, or I don't think that masks reduce risk, but being the only I need y'all to hear me. Being the only impacts our nervous system, whether you are connected with your body and not to see it. So here I am. And in the midst of this, I'm also navigating the fact that we can't find the birthday girl, right? I don't know what this girl looks like. And to be honest with you, her name was racially ambiguous. Y'all, look, I'm really to be real. You hear a name, you make a prediction. Yep. We got that invitation and we were like, hmm. Could go know. either way. It could go either way. Now, it, it, it is not that it would have determined, it wouldn't have played any part in like our attendance or anything, but at least it would have helped me to know who I'm looking for. <laughs> okay. So when I realized, I look around and I go, yep, I am the only black person in this space right now too. Well, okay, fine. So I'm walking throughout this space with my daughters trying to find the birthday girl. I don't know what her parents look like. So I, so I am passing all these people without masks, feeling super self-conscious, like for real. So we find the birthday girl and then they're kind of playing. So at this point, you can pick a seat where you can pretty much see the whole place. So now I need to find a place where I'm going to go sit during this time. And I found a place to sit. And then my girls wanted me to come. So I get up and I start walking and there is a woman in front of me who's kind of almost blocking the path of where I'm trying to get to. And it's obvious that she's looking for someone. So I I made the assumption that like she was looking for her child. And so when I said, excuse me, she turned around to say, oh, I'm sorry. And she had on a mask. And when I tell you that I could feel my body respond with relief. There's another mask. When I tell you it was pretty, I felt like besides being um, a woman appearing, 
those were the only similar identities that I could point out. <laughs> I mean, she was very short. I'm pretty tall. She was white. I was black. like, there were no, but she had on a mask. And all of a sudden, the tension that I didn't even know I was holding, right, started to release a little bit. And it was just something about looking and being like, okay, okay, okay. All of a sudden, it doesn't matter to me that the, the other 98% people in here, I, I, I'm not crazy. I'm not in this alone. We, sh we can share in this space. And, and what that did for me is I know this to be true. I know representation matters. I know it's important for us to see ourselves reflected back. But it was that real-time experience in the moment that was like, this is real, y'all. So when we start talking about equity, when we're talking about it's important that the 90% Black NFL players, but zero Black owners and one to two coaches. And that matters. It matters to the nervous system. And I'm talking about this as a Black person, but this goes across all demographics, right? When we are navigating spaces where we are the only, even if we've learned to navigate it well, I have perfected navigating all white spaces. I've been doing it for over 20 years. I've been doing it since undergrad. I've learned how to leverage. Uh, listen, I, it, the outward appearance of that navigation made me think I was okay. But when I started to settle into my body, I realized that sometimes my nervous system is shredded. And then I wonder why I leave that conference or I leave that training and I'm exhausted. And the convenient narrative I've given is, well, I'm very impassioned in case you can't tell, <laughs> when, I, <laughs> when I train and when I do all that, of course you're tired. No, my nervous system is a wreck. So I, somebody needed to hear that today. I don't know who, you can listen to this in two years and you're still gonna need to hear it from either perspective, whether you go, ooh, I need to be conscious about finding places where my identity is reflected or rather you recognize that sometimes you're in the midst of a space where there is an only and I need you to know that their nervous system is going, is, 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 is aware that they are the only. Whether you're talking about social workers, it is a heavily uh, female saturated industry. So when you find those one few male identifying, you know, social workers and therapists know that being in that space is doing something to the nervous system, right? It's like, imagine how many times people with certain identities have watched media their whole lives but never see themselves reflected back in the, back at them. But then they finally find a show or a movie where someone reflects their identity and it's not satire and it's not over-exaggerated. Like it, it, it means a lot preach <laughs> this is real life y'all this is real life and that's why I love it <laughs> and that is why I love it okay so I wanted to make sure I talk to y'all about that um was there any what was there any I feel like there was something else that I wanted to talk about um because this is how it goes. I, uh, oh, yes. Okay. And so um, I met with my spiritual director today. 
and uh, made a, a very important discovery for myself. And I'm, I'm really excited to share this with you all. I've been talking about discharge for a while, ways in which I discharge. I told you that I give myself four options. I can box, I can paint, I can write, and I can do my foot detoxing. And I've been really, really good about discharging. But what I haven't been very good at is recharging. (laughs) And so today I really got reacquainted with the necessity for me to have silence and stillness. And so I wanted to share that because I think sometimes, even when I'm consciously saying like, don't like being, being is so important. Sometimes being turns into doing and we get so focused on the doing. And so it was really nice for a couple of times today for me to just sit in silence. As a matter of fact, last night, (laughs) Jay recorded one of his podcasts. And so when he came into the bedroom at the end of the night, because y'all, when we got kids, well, I guess your, your reason, Jay, is because your co-host is in California. Um, But for me, um, I wait till my kids go to sleep oftentimes to, to do the podcast. And so he came into the bedroom and I was wide awake, but there's no TV on. There was no light on. There was nothing. And I was just laying in silence. So he came around being sweet. He was going to take my glasses off for me. So I didn't have to sleep in my glasses. And he like <laughs> kind of jumped like, oh, you're awake. What are you doing? And I can remember as far back as to adolescence. Sometimes my mom would come in my room and be like, what are you doing? And I'm like, nothing sitting on my bed, no TV, no rate, no nothing, just sitting there. And, 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 and I sometimes think people think that's odd, but I think even intuitively I've known for a very long time that sometimes I just need silence. We are in a very busy world. Were you going to say something? No, oh. no. Um, we're in a very busy world. We don't really get a lot of stillness and silence, but I know for me, a person who carries a lot of wait for others with hence the discharging but sometimes the stillness is what I need so that my gift can replenish and it can be revitalized and I haven't been doing that enough and so I started to feel the effects of that but I'm glad I had someone on the outside who knows me who I trust to help me get there because I didn't think that was it I was making I was going with the convenient narratives and I started to notice it because I become more irritable. Um, I start to build up many resentments across different relationships. Um, In in the smallest ways, I start recalling uh, grievances and slights from years ago. I start questioning people's lawyers. I I just, uh, you know, all these things start to come up and I'm learning that's my cue that I have not rested in stillness and silence enough to replenish what do you do to replenish music i think music is how i get um my energy back whether it's you know i can actually even be actively doing something but the fact that i have like music playing music is always kind of giving me energy and, and how I know I like silence is sometimes we'll be driving somewhere and it'd be like, can we turn on music? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, I guess nothing is on. Yeah, I'm completely cool. I remember making the drive from Cincinnati to Detroit once and I got like three quarters of the way there and realized I hadn't turned on the radio. It was like, oh, I should turn that on. So, well, the final thing I want to do is um, I want to promote 
the Instant Classic podcast. So um, obviously, if you're tuning in here, whether you're just checking it out or you're a regular listener, um, you really vibe with kind of relationship therapy, trauma, resilience, and that whole thing. Maybe just tune in because you like me. I appreciate it. Um, but if you're looking to expand your genres of uh, podcasts, why don't you tell them about the Instant Classic podcast? Yeah, so uh, I am one half of the Instant Classic podcast. The other half is my brother, Emery Ogletree II. And depending on the topic, you may even still get some of that resilience, mental health, especially if we're talking about some of the athletes that are uh, currently going through some things. So we have spoke, we have spoken on mental health in the past. Um, so it's, you can download it anywhere you listen to podcasts. We are um, episode 21 will be coming out tomorrow. It is engaging. We, we have the laughs, we have serious topics. It's just a good listen overall. Yeah, so I think y'all should check it out. I think, um, so I love bringing on guests and talking to guests, but what I really appreciate about the Instant Classic podcast is we're talking about friends and brothers, right? They have been friends for, was it 25 years? Something 94. like that. Yeah, that feels like math. Uh, for a really long time. They've been friends for a really long time. And um, and what I appreciate is you, I think, now here's the big old asterisk. I don't listen to podcasts. However, <laughs> what I think no, you makes for good um just whether a podcast or just good things, it's when people, when you get to eavesdrop on a conversation. I think that's good, right? And so what I love is it's not interview style. It's just them really just, if they were sitting in our family room or in our kitchen talking about sports like they would, that's what the podcast is. You get to eavesdrop and just be present to two brothers talking about something that they're very knowledgeable and passionate about. So, um, you know, Jay is very much behind the scenes on this podcast, though very instrumental. So I love that, you know, he has a space where he he gets to be front and center and people get to benefit from his wide range of knowledge. Some of it useless knowledge that I love that he has and recall of random facts and just kind of getting down with, you know, this intersection of sports and popular culture. So check him out. I will say. It either is going to save our lives one day or it is going to get us fabulously wealthy. It is not useless. Okay, you're right. I, I apologize. Words matter. Um, for the record, he has called it useless sometimes, but I write, look, I either that random knowledge is going to save our lives or make us fabulously wealthy and I'll take both. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think that's it for the day. <clears throat> um, just wanting to come on and say that, you know, Everything is data. It's something that I say all the time. And so for me, whether we're watching a football game or a halftime show, or I'm taking my kids to a birthday party, everything is data. And I try to be mindful and present enough in the, in, in, in the reality of what's happening around me to take in that data, whether I'm just saving it and getting curious about it for later, or whether it helps me to 
um, recognize that I don't feel safe in the moment or whatever it is. And so hopefully, uh, yeah, that was in some way thought provoking for you all. Jay, I want to thank you for being my guest today. Well, thank you for having me. I was going to go into my normal spiel, but uh, <laughs> I realized I talk about you in the spiel. So I want to continue to thank my nephew, Trey Angel, who does all the music for the Labors of Love podcast. And to you, Jay Sugg, my amazing producer from Instant Classic Media. And thank you listeners and guests for just, I mean, my listeners for tuning in. So if you want to get in touch with me, if you have suggestions for content or other guests, please reach out at www.thelaborsoflove.com. Dot com. We have a special form where you can specifically tell us what you want to hear about and who guests should be. We're on all the major social media outlets. If you got TikTok, go ahead and give me a follow. I do my Wellness Wednesday food for thoughts over there. We have our YouTube channel where all of our Therapy Thursday videos are housed. And if you have not already, please go ahead and rate. Give us that five-star rating, review, and share the podcast with your friends and loved ones. Until we connect again, you all be well.